Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. Let's also remember that mask optional doesn't mean no mask. You can still wear a mask if you want to. I certainly will. Me too. Great. The health advocates are masking up. (laughs) Welcome back to The Health Advocates, a podcast that breaks down major health news of the week to help you make sense of it all. I'm Stephen Newmark, Director of Policy at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. And I'm Zoe Rothblatt, Patient Advocate and Community Outreach Manager at GHLF. Our goal is to help you understand what's happening in the healthcare world to help you make informed decisions to live your best life. But before we get started, we want to make sure that everyone takes a listen to all of GHLF's great podcasts. We have so many to choose from. Yes, and you can check them all out at ghlf.org slash listen. One of my favorites for sure is your podcast, Zoe, on biosimilars. The term biosimilar is so strange, but you and your co-host Connor do a great job of explaining what biosimilars are and how they help patients. Well, thank you, Stephen. Biosimilars are still a new-ish therapy, and we work to help patients make sense of it all. Speaking of making sense, let's start with a listener comment. Are you ready? I am ready. So David C. wrote, very interesting and informative. Love the hosts. Great. I love the hosts, too. And I also think I'm very interesting and informative. (laughs) Ditto. I'm just joking, of course. But (laughs) thank you, David Z. We appreciate it. So, Stephen, what is happening this week? It feels like a lot's going on. Yeah, it does. As if it couldn't get any stranger or more stressful. Vladimir Putin has invaded Ukraine, a nation of 44 million people. Just when I thought it was safe to think of non-COVID thoughts, oops, here comes this. I know. At the same time, I personally have been taking strength and solace from the fierce resistance of Ukrainian people and the fact that most of the world is coming together to protect this small democracy. Me too. Also in the news this week, new research has come out which points to a Wuhan market as the origin of the pandemic. Yes, we've known for a while that the virus was first detected in Wuhan at the end of 2019, but scientists have been looking into where it originated, which still remains a mystery. Researchers have said that the virus originated in bats. There's a theory about it coming from a laboratory leak. And now these two preliminary studies have said that it probably originated in animals and spread to humans from a seafood market in Wuhan. So these studies have not been peer-reviewed yet, but from what I read, it's the strongest evidence yet about the source of the pandemic. Right. And getting to the bottom of where coronavirus originated is important for prevention of future pandemics. It still doesn't absolve the Chinese government from their failure to alert the world in a timely fashion about COVID-19, of course. For sure. But hopefully, you know, if we figure it out, we can stop something like this in the future. Stephen, there's more healthcare news. It was a busy week. We also had three recent developments for older adults and healthcare access. The first being that a federal court ruled recently that if Medicare declines to pay for your rehabilitation in a nursing home after you've left the hospital, this would happen because they change your status from inpatient to outpatient. You can now appeal that decision, but Medicare does require three consecutive days as an inpatient for you to be eligible for nursing home coverage but this definitely expands some of the coverage for older adults in nursing home care. The second is that California eased Medicaid qualifications. California estimated asset limits for older people trying to qualify for Medicaid. In July, the asset limits rises to $130,000 for an individual and another $65,000 for each family member. And lastly, the Social Security Administration has finally announced that it will reopen over its 1,000 local offices, which for the most part have been closed since the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020. And this is really important for our community because you can't apply online for supplemental security income or SSI 
which helps many in our community and seniors who are low income. Yeah, and I should also mention President Biden has announced Ketanji Brown-Jackson as his nominee to replace Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court. She hasn't done a ton of rulings or work in the healthcare space. She oversaw a somewhat wonky case ruling in favor of Massachusetts hospitals and a challenge to how the Department of Health and Human Services calculated Medicare disproportionate share hospital payments. Last summer, she was part of a three-judge panel that allowed the CDC to continue their eviction moratorium. So it's really tough to predict our healthcare rulings generally. We should also mention President Biden this week gave the annual State of the Union address. Members of Congress, the President of the United States. He did touch on some points on healthcare. He spoke about lowering drug pricing. Specifically, he called for Medicare to negotiate drug prices directly. Let's let Medicare negotiate the price of prescription drugs. They already set the price for VA drugs. And he called for a $35 monthly cap on insulin. So everyone can afford it. And perhaps the biggest news of the week for us is that the CDC loosened its masking guidance. Right, right. All good stuff. We spoke about loosening masking guidance a few episodes ago. The new guidance is a bit different in that until now, we've looked at cases of COVID in the community as a guide. But this new CDC guidance uses a system that characterizes counties as low, medium, or high risk for poor outcomes. And the CDC recommends for people in high-risk areas to wear a mask in public, indoor settings. And under the new system, more than 70% of the U.S. is in an area with low or medium community risk right now, which means that most Americans don't need to wear a mask under this recommendation. And this guidance is a little bit different for immunocompromised. And I guess it's nice that immunocompromised aren't being ignored in the new guidance. So often throughout the pandemic, it's been sort of vague for us. And it's nice to have specific recommendations, even if many do feel left behind as restrictions are loosened. So true. We at GHLF have been pouring over info during the pandemic, trying to get the latest research out to our community because so much of the conversation didn't have specifics for the immunocompromised. Here's what it is in the new guidance. In a medium risk area, the CDC recommends that if you are immunocompromised or at high risk for complications from COVID, you should definitely talk to your healthcare provider about additional precautions such as wearing masks. And if you live with or have social contact with a high-risk person and you're in this medium-risk area, you should consider testing before getting together and wearing a mask indoors. So, you know, similar to how things have been. Then if you're in a high-risk area and you're immunocompromised, you should wear a mask or a respirator that provides you with greater protection. So, you know, probably those 95 masks we've been talking about on here. I think this just means that generally you should wear these masks versus for not high-risk individuals. It's just recommended for indoor public spaces in a high-risk area. So let's jump into this. How do we get to this point? Well, as we said, the CDC relaxed its mask guidance. Even before the CDC's change, states that had been deemed very conservative when it came to masks, like New York and California, began removing their mandates. For some, this is a welcome relief. They feel sufficiently protected without the masks. They feel that masks have been difficult for their children or for themselves or both, and they are ready to move on. But for others, and in particular, the immunocompromised, and that's a group we focus on for our show, the move is scary or at least a bit uncomfortable. It's definitely scary. You know, we've spoken about how our voices are being drowned out. It's easy to feel in the current moment that these fears are basically being dismissed. 
everyone's expected to want to return to this place of normalcy. And if it's hard to get there, though, it can feel isolating. But today we want to talk about how those of us who may be scared um, could approach this new change. Several episodes ago, we addressed the move from a pandemic to the endemic phase. And today we'll talk a bit more and hopefully offer some reassuring items for our listeners. You know, let's try to stay away from arguments about masking policies. Definitely. Let's just, you know, focus on the facts that this is happening and how can we process this and continue to live safely. Well, we've all become more savvy at processing risk in the past two years. A particular challenge, however, has been thinking through the risks that are small but not zero. We aren't really well calibrated to processing a 1 in 1,000 risk versus a 1 in 10,000 risk. Yeah, I frequently relied both personally and in writing on comparative risk. That is, you know, comparing the risk of COVID to another risk that most people are comfortable taking, like example, the flu or, you know, getting in a car and driving even. Right, right. I saw an economist that I follow often, Emily Oster from Brown University, describe it this way. We can think about the infection risk as the chance that you will come in contact with someone with COVID multiplied by the chance that you get infected. So let's call these two numbers A and B. Thus, the risk is A times B. And over the past year plus, there have been many changes that alter both A and B. A, you know, the chance that you come in contact with someone with COVID has been higher during surges, Mm -hmm. has probably moved around with changes to, you know, testing surveillance system and, and stuff like that. And B is the risk of your getting COVID from another person at a particular setting. And that's moved around with, you know, ventilation improvements, for example, and with the transmissibility of the virus. During the Omicron wave, this number was, of course, larger in all settings. And the removal of mask mandates affects B, of course. The goal of wearing masks is to lower the viral transmission. The result of removing mask requirements should lead to an increase in that B number, if you will. However, a randomized trial in Bangladesh estimated that a 10% reduction in symptomatic COVID after the encouragement of masks. Analysis of the impact of cloth masks on aerosol transmission in more lab-based settings would suggest that perhaps masks lead to a 50% reduction in risks if both people are wearing them. So, you know, let's go with that upper bound number here to be conservative, 50%. Yes. This would mean that when the masks are removed, the transmission rate doubles. Correct. This seems scary. (laughs) Now the risk of infection seems to be doubled. Oh, no. But, you know, it may not be so scary because... What has prompted the removal of masks is a decline in the case rates. Right. So where we live, New York City, at the peak of Omicron in January, the daily case rate was about 500 individuals per 100,000 residents. It's now down to 24. Wow, that's a big drop. Big drop. So this means that the risk of any given person having COVID has reduced by a factor of about 20. So even if the risk of infection doubled with the removal of the masks, the overall risk was still down by a factor of 10. Well, you know, that certainly makes me feel slightly better. These are good numbers to be hearing. I mean, nothing's going to put me at total ease, but it's helpful to hear numbers like this. And of course, the same argument turned on its head is why it may ultimately make sense to return to masking during future stages of surges of cases. Absolutely. A fair response, of course, is that maybe when you reflect on this, you generally still think that the risk is too high. Masks feel like something we can control in contrast to the COVID race, which don't feel like something we can control. If your goal is to have the overall A times B infection risk be as low as possible, the removal of masks gets in the way of that. But we are where we are, and people want to take the masks off, and 
politics and policymakers listen to the people and keeping that B number as low as possible is hard for society to tolerate when the A number is also low. Let's also remember that, you know, mask optional doesn't mean no mask. You can still wear a mask if you want to. I certainly will. Me too. Great. The health advocates are masking up. (laughs) You know, this is really important because one way masking is still extremely effective. If I have my mask on, I'm still protecting myself. And The bottom line from various studies is that, as we've discussed in the past, if you're wearing these 95 masks, the KN95 or the N95, you're very protected from infection, even if somebody around you is unmasked. Right. So at this moment, you have the capacity with your own actions to lower transmission risk, even if everyone else is doing nothing. So your own personal risk can be lowered by wearing these masks. Reassuring, but well, maybe it's a little reassuring. I'm still a little nervous as the masks come off, but it's something. And I love this data that you're pointing to. Look, part of what is scary about the removal of masks is that they're so visible that it feels like a huge change. When seeing someone without a mask, I admit that it's a little jarring. Even though I mask myself nearly all the time and I've had three vaccine doses, it still scares me. Hopefully the data that we've talked about relaxes folks a little bit, either to be comfortable recognizing that the drop in case rates really does lower the overall risk tremendously, or in recognizing that you can still focus on your own protection. And I'll just add that a very real fear for our community is about ending up hospitalized and in serious condition from covid which this fear may be amplified as COVID restrictions are loosened and the masks come off. But a new study did bring some good news for us. It found that the third COVID vaccine offered significantly better protection against hospitalization for immunocompromised people than just simply having the first two doses. I'll say that this study was conducted before the Omicron surge, so, you know, the results may not be exactly applicable to the current situation, but still really encouraging. Encouraging for sure. And now we have the fourth dose too for the immunocompromised. So we will have to wait and see the research there. But this is very promising. All right, Stephen, we're coming up on the close of our show. What did you learn about today? Well, I was glad to hear just now from you about the new studies about reduction in hospitalizations for those who have three shots, three vaccines. So that was good to hear. And it was reassuring for me to walk through the data with you about cases are lower, what happens when the masks come off, we may be okay. Yes, and we hope you learned something too. We hope maybe you're a little bit more at ease as the restrictions are being lifted. We'd love to hear about you, about anything that's going on in your world. Send your email to thehealthadvocates at ghlf.org or better yet, include a short video or audio clip. And who knows, whatever you share may be included in our listener feedback portion of future episodes. Also email us if you want to subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we share the top health news of the week. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to The Health Advocates, a podcast that breaks down major health news of the week to help you make sense of it all. If you like this episode, give us a rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen. It'll help more people like you find us. I'm Zoe Rothblatt. I'm Stephen Newmark. We'll see you next time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. Thank you.